here they are again, the Irish in Sweden. And lads, here I am late on a Sunday night because I'm not sure you're all on holidays yet. I think there's probably a few of you doing an honest day's work here, there and everywhere. Or maybe you're already in your hammock in your summer studio and you have your fallu red paint out and you're painting the fence there and you're looking for something to listen to. So as normal, I will get this episode out for 7 o'clock on the Monday morning. Just in case, I haven't heard from Kevin Carroll. Um... <clears throat> Which is probably not unusual because Armagh lost uh, the, in the Gaelic football the other day. So he's probably uh, hiding away somewhere there. So, you know, he could be still working. Could be still getting in his little van and throwing the tools in the back of it looking for something to listen to. And sure, here it is. I hope you're all very well. We are into the start of July if you're listening to this as it came out. And even if you're not listening to this as it came out, we're still at the start of July. Uh, things are starting to wind down just a little bit, but there's still a good few things going on. Uh, a great conversation <laughs> coming up that I kind of didn't expect to have, but it was absolutely brilliant uh, when I sat down and went through it. Uh, I had a chat with Paddy Looney, who's a mead man who's involved in all sorts of consultancy work for businesses and how businesses can get better in marketing and branding and all that. But he also works with breeding horses. And... It's it's an odd one because like you know, Paddy was sending me a few WhatsApps, and the next thing he sent me uh, this WhatsApp going, "Okay, this is what I'm doing today," and basically it was to do with how they got the semen out of the horse for the breeding and that. And lads, I'm from Dublin, right? If I'm not around the smell of concrete, I feel bad. I haven't seen these things before, and it was basically like somebody sending you some class of pornography in WhatsApp. But uh, it was, you know, don't let that put you off. It's a fascinating discussion altogether, which we will get to very shortly. But before we get to that, last week was a little bit of a, a bittersweet affair and we will be returning to this subject in the very near future because if you don't know you'll know now that uh, our ambassador Austin Gormley is set to head for pastures new he's going to be around for another few weeks and then he's going to be off for a few weeks and then he's going to be taking up a post as Ireland's ambassador to South Africa so last week on the 27th of June there was a little reception held at the ambassador's residence, right? So you have the embassy itself, which is down on, I think it's Hoslog, I got that, just down there looking over the water. And uh, it was, so we were, a few of us were invited up there to the residence. There's probably about maybe 40 people there, 35, 40 people-ish. A lot of them working for the state agencies. There would have been fellow diplomats around there. Uh, there was various Swedish political representatives, one person from the Riksdag, uh, the equivalent of a TD who was there uh, to see him off. And you had Conor Drone, he was there from the Stockholm Gales and presented uh, Ambassador Gormley with, with a shirt and that. Now, I did say to the ambassador on the evening that uh, we will do an exit interview with him. So now, you know, we, we did, he was the first guest, I think, on this podcast when it started. And now we'll have to have a chat with him before he leaves again. And as I say, it was very bittersweet because we've been kind of blessed and the older people in the community will remember that we have had some tremendous ambassadors over the years, one of whom was Donald Hamill, uh, who was the ambassador at the time of the crash there around 2008. And I just remember, you know the way you don't really understand or you don't really get maybe what uh, these guys and girls do until they're actually doing it in a time of crisis, right? So if you remember back then, Ireland was absolutely on its knees, right? The IMF was in, austerity was the order of the day, everything had collapsed, we owed money to absolutely everybody. And what Donald Hamill did at the time was he got a, few, a good few uh, big Swedish companies together and that kind of thing, and he got Irish business leaders together, and he brought them into uh, the very same residence, you know, pretty much the same room as we were standing in the other night, 
And what he was doing there was an attempt to open up new opportunities for Irish businesses dealing with Swedish companies. And the skill, I was there that night that he, he did this, and the skill with which he managed that discussion and he sort of steered it towards Ireland and Ireland's interests and the great sort of bond there are between the, that there was between the two nations and how this could be mutually beneficial. So not just beneficial for Ireland, but also for Swedish companies. And that went on then over months and years that followed and I think that was really the sort of the start of uh, what we call Team Ireland and what Austin very proudly calls Team Ireland now and uh, you know getting everybody into where the embassy is and hopes long I got that and now Enterprise Ireland moved out but Tourism Ireland were in there, Board Bio were in there uh, so everybody was in there for a little while and it was just brilliant to see how this thing works and but you know even if we've had these great diplomats before I think Austin has stood out and I don't think I've been in any way unfair to our previous ambassadors in saying that Austin stood out from the moment he arrived during Covid he just found a way to make it work he found a way to get everybody together to get the business community together to get the Swedish Irish society together to get the Stockholm Gales and Spuds and Sill together he found a way to reach out uh, to people down below in Gothenburg you know he went down there and he had you know he went out for, for a drink and a coffee with as many people as he could uh, he brought us all closer together he was down in Malmo he was up in Lulio he was up in Yavla opening uh, I think it was LPI when he opened our office up there so it's just you know in one way I'm delighted because he's going on to what was hopefully a bigger and a better job. Uh, I hope that, you know, he at one point, you know, I, I'm sure we, he all have, we all have our ambitions. I don't know if he wants to work for, you know, Ireland at the UN or if he wants to be the ambassador to America, what he wants to do. I wish him absolutely every success. He's certainly shown me and shown us that he's more than capable of doing all these things. But yeah, it was a little bit bittersweet. And that's not to say anything. I, I'm not sure uh, who his replacement is. I've been told the name, but I don't have it here in front of me. And no doubt that person will be just as competent and just as engaged and just as fired up as Austin was but it's always that thing that um you're gonna miss people you know and and with them you know it is that thing of you know with amb ambassadors and diplomats and you have Dorian Burke who's there doing fantastic work at the moment as well that their time will come and they have to move on and just because you know what's coming doesn't make it any easier and as I say we will come back to this and I will thank uh, Austin Gormley on the record as well when I do talk to him but you know for now you know we owe uh, we owe him a huge amount as a community and I just wanted to to pass that on to you all and there was a good few people there uh, Ivan Keane who was on the podcast recently was telling me that Lodias have been buying his beer and getting in contact with him and asking him about um, you know the various things that he's doing as well but don't forget the lads in uh, in Strengness as well of the brewery down there and you have of course uh, was it Dermot who has the brewery down south in Scorna there I might throw that in the show notes as well or I'll certainly put it up on social media so if you're just ordering anything to have a few beers in the fridge over the summer that maybe the Irish craft beer producers like uh, Ivan like um, Kieran Blake and the lads of Mela Dorland's brewing there and Dermot as well. You might uh, you might throw a few of them in the old system blog out in the uh, the what you call the shopping basket that you have online there and collect a few of them. Um, the football and Gaelic football like I think I think that's taking a bit of a break now for the summer so there is going to be a tournament in Yavla I think there's actually going to be a family day in Yavla happening at the end of July I have to get in touch with Tom up there and see what's going on but we're getting into that period of time now especially if you're new it's going to be very unusual to you because you're thinking right here's the best of weather in Sweden and everybody's going to do absolutely nothing and yeah that's how it works here I couldn't get my head around it in 1999 because you'll be driving past roadworks now you know over the next month or six weeks and there'd be nobody working on them and building sites would be completely empty you'd be going Jesus where is everybody you know would you not be making hay while the sun shines but no this is the time of the year when Swedish people and or Swedish Irish people will be disappearing off to their summer house or they'll be going away to Greece for a couple of weeks or Croatia or whatever or just hanging around Stockholm 
I saw a lot of the, the younger people were, uh, or a lot of people from the Stockholm Gales anyway, would have been at Lollapalooza here, out watching music in Yad, I think it was. But uh, there was a great old festival on here in Stockholm over the weekend. So yeah, get into that, get used to that. Uh, go go swimming, take care when you're swimming, don't be drinking, getting in the water, lads. So, you know, maybe, you know, dip your feet in or that kind of thing. We'll be careful out there. But yeah, get out and enjoy all the country has to offer because uh, as the saying goes, after midsummer, you know, there's, uh, the stretch in the evening starts to disappear fairly sharpish. And as I'm talking to you now, we've had a couple of, uh, well, certainly today on the Sunday I'm talking to you, there was a desperate rain all day and there's a bit of rain due all week. Listen, before I get into this interview with uh, Paddy Looney, a wonderfully intelligent and interesting man and fascinating to listen to, um, this is a listener-supported podcast, a community-supported podcast, patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm, right? Uh, so if you can go and throw a fiver a month in there, that would be absolutely tremendous. Or if you don't want to do that, if you want to do an L once-off payment, you can swish a few bob. Open the Swish app on your phone there now, and the number is 123 1223 is the number. Now, I think uh, this conversation actually came about through the sort of call out that I did. Um, or I'll put it this way, right? Paddy never actually said to me, oh, you should have me in your podcast of a great old yarn for you, right? That just didn't happen. He just got in touch with me on LinkedIn, I think it was. And then we moved, we transferred over to WhatsApp and then he started sending me videos showing me the kind of things he was doing with the horse. Like, I don't know. Oh, Jesus, I have to talk to this fellow altogether. So we came into the studio there last week and we sat down and we talked probably for you know, the guts of an hour and we probably then turned off the microphones and t- talked for the guts of another hour and do you know what you can have him onto the podcast again and talk for the guts of another hour and he probably still wouldn't repeat himself so it's been great crack now altogether, and I'm delighted to bring you this conversation with Paddy Looney living out beyond there in Rimbo or about uh, 10 or 12 kilometres from there and raising horses and consulting and doing all manner of things a fascinating character enjoy Paddy Looney, delighted to get you into the studio, to get you in from out in the sticks, by because we were saying, like, my wife is from Rimbo, which is yeah. around where your address is, but you're not even in Rimbo, you're sort of 13 kilometers. Well, worse again, yeah, I'm on the, on the outskirts, yeah. <laughs> so. How did you end up there at all? How did I end up there? Um, it's a good question, but it sounded like... Yeah, exactly, I'm trying to figure that out too. Uh, it was just at the time, we're looking for a place to buy, mm. to rent and buy, and that farm became available, so mm. it's suited and... Yeah, look at it. it's 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 funny enough by by normal standards it's not far from Stockholm or from yeah, Uppsala, yeah. but of course too it's not like you can just tip up the road for a pint or no in the dark of winter it's, it feels very far away. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you from a farming background? Yeah. No, interesting enough, not no, I'm not from a farming background, but growing up, I'm from Ashburn and Mead originally. Yeah, and um, which is now a suburb of Dublin, of course. Exactly, and I was growing up it was a small village. Yeah, you know we didn't have a secondary school even or nothing like that. So. Yeah. But I got involved in horses when I was quite young. Yeah, is that and a bit? That's a big thing down in that part of the world. Yeah, isn't? North County Dublin and East Mead. It's big. Like you yeah. had a lot of thoroughbred trainers, and Paul Dara, the show jumper, was close by as well. Paul you know, Dara, my yeah. Lord. Yeah, I was the first guy I worked for when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And where did that, did you love horses? Did you look at these things and go, oh, I want to work with this? Or was it just something you fell into? No, I think it was just something I fell into because, yeah, strange enough, because none of my brothers or sisters rode. Mm. And my parents weren't really involved. Of course, you know, that generation, they would have grown up with farm horses. Yeah. Father's from Kerry and my mother's from Kilkenny. But um, I'm not sure why it was, but I was maybe six or seven. 
you went to the local uh, riding school to take, and then you just, it's an, like an addiction. Yeah. You can't get away from them. You know? You've often find that when you talk to people who are into horses and race horses and that kind of thing, and they do it for next to no money, but they yeah. absolutely love what they do. Oh, it's crazy. Like when I was a kid, I, I remember working in a stud farm, and at the time it was 30 pounds per week. And it was over near Dunsany. But you cycle over. Yeah. And that at the time was like 13 miles. What's that? 17 kilometers. Jesus. Over and back every day on a bicycle. Work all day long, seven days a week for 30 quid. But, uh, but what, you loved what, it. What year was that? That would have been 1993, 94. That's 30 quid a week. That was no, The yeah. dole was more than that at that point, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, but you didn't. Well, look at it. You went out and worked <laughs> or I stayed at home. My father made me work for free. And you get more work. <laughs> so, so, so that was the option. Quid, that was like the that. option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of things were you doing then? Was it just stable? Oh, with that, you do, yeah, you do everything. Funny enough, I was only thinking about it there a few weeks ago. The very first day you're given a strimmer. Yeah. And the guy said to me at eight o'clock in the morning, strim under that fence. It was a huge driveway went up to it. Yeah. And when you get finished at the top of the fence, then come in, it'll be like 10 o'clock. Yeah. We have our break. So I just kept strimming. Yeah. But I went into next door. Oh, Jesus. Which is now a golf club, I think. What's it called? Um, Tonsaini. It's one of those famous. And I just kept streaming. So it came to nearly lunchtime and they went out looking for me. There was no mobile phones. And they sent it a search party. For you. Search party. And I'd gone through like five <laughs> litres of petrol. And I'm gone with the streamer. The neighbours were delighted. I'd streamed. <laughs> Halfway home. <laughs> I streamed half the farms from there to trim, you know. But uh, it was sort of the ethos you brought up. Get the job done, you know. That was it, like, yeah. Because yeah. Th- it is hard work as well. And there's no moaning. You know, nobody's going to listen to that in the yard. Not right? back then. Yeah. Nowadays you have to. It's all unionised and everything and stuff <laughs> yeah, like that. But back then, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy it or was it one of those hard schools and it was just, you know... No, you enjoyed it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do it otherwise, you know. Yeah. But, um, um, and then, look at it, we didn't come from a wealthy background. I didn't have ponies or horses at home. Yeah. So you rode whatever you could get your hands on. Yeah. For free. Can I jump this? Can I ride this? Or, yeah. You know. What kind of horses <laughs> would there, there have been on, in that yard now? Would that have been race horses? Show yeah, horses? They, were, they were race horses at the time. The farm at that time was... Uh, owned by a Japanese guy. Mm. Um, and then it was an Irish company that was running it for them. So it was breeding of thoroughbreds. Yeah. So like when I was a kid then, I remember going and helping Jim Drapers is not far down the road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all around us was thoroughbreds. Yeah. And that brought me then in my early 20s, I went to New Zealand then working as well in the thoroughbreds for a while. Yeah. Came back also. But, you know, funny enough, the coincidence of my first, job as a kid I was 13 or 14 at the time I cycled up to Paul Darrow's yard looking for a job for summer and Paul's partner at the time in the business a Belgian man called Elaine Storm um, he was running that operation with him and this kid arrives up knocking on the office I'm sure he was thinking what do you want give us a job (laughs) what can you do but funny enough the coincidence of it I'll never forget walking up the steps in this old barn in an office and Elaine was there looking at horse pedigrees on a computer. Yeah. And I'd barely seen a computer at that stage. Course, this is the early yeah. 90s. And he was telling me about genetics of mm. show jumpers. And he's looking at the pedigree pages. Yeah. And anyway, he gave me a job. And uh, he sm- sent me to one or two yards over that summer. And, but the coincidence was about 15 or 16 years later, I'm in a boardroom in a company in Dundalk. And a new non-executive director is introduced. And who walks in the door on a... Elaine. Yeah. yeah. So two was caught eyes and started laughing. He said, I thought I told you to get out of the horse business, you know? <laughs> and you're still in it. <laughs> yeah, you're not? still in it. Was, was the horses what brought you to Sweden then? Was it? Yeah, it was. I was working for a company, an Irish company called Horseware. I was with them for 
15 years, I think. Mm. And um, I was fantastic. It brought me, I looked after the, uh, a lot of the European and the Nordic markets, Eastern Europe, Russia. Yeah. And yeah, that's what brought me to Sweden because it was a big market for us. Would you have been selling horses in there? or No, it was horse blankets and, and All right, equestrian yeah. apparel for this company. Yeah. And it was based out of Dundalk and we had a, uh, our manufacturing operations in Asia. Yeah. So I was thrown in the deep end. It was around the time also, you see, when we hit the recession in Ireland, 07, 08. Yeah, yeah. Everybody was panicking. Oh, what are we going to do? But the guy who owned that company, a brilliant, brilliant man, he realized, hey, I've been through many recessions. When there's a recession, there's opportunity. Yeah. So when everybody else is panicking, let's get out and capitalize. Mm. And we grew huge amounts over those years. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that because... The kind of people who buy and sell thoroughbred horses are kind of recession-proof because they're going to have, they're still going to have plenty of money. Well, within reason, but the the horse industry in general, like okay, here in the Nordics, is primarily sport horses. Yeah, very little um, thoroughbreds here. There is a lot of trotting horses. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say recession-proof, but they'll make sacrifices. Yeah, you know. Because so of that passion, like for that passion, they buy essential and quality, you know. So mm. they're a little bit more now. In fairness, I think the recession we're entering or we're well into now has got to have an impact. Do you think so? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like when you look across the whole market, feed prices will double by the end of the year, and it has to hit the pockets. Electricity prices going up, so it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen. Yeah, it must have been a tough winter for people because you have to keep them indoors all winter, don't you? Well, you have them out, but you have to feed them. You have to feed them all winter, and and the costs are gone through the roof. Yeah, you know. Or oh, that's part of the sort of cost of living crisis. So bread and everything else has gone bread, up. Bread, but grain. veterinary costs and yeah. feed costs and everything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's trickling. It's going to trickle down. And I think we're going to see it across the the whole um, the whole industry. Mm-hmm. And I do like it now. Okay, I, I I came involved with horses always. It's um, but it's maybe only eighty percent of what I've done in recent years. I yeah. do a lot of consulting work now with brands, both here within the Nordics and in Europe. Across and, different industries. Okay, so it's not just equestrian anymore. No, no, no. You do all sorts of yeah, stuff and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you moved here, I think, did you say to me you moved it sort of full time? You moved here in 2014, was yeah, it? Yeah, around 2014, I moved here full time because the Nordics was one of our largest markets for export. Mm-hmm. And okay, I was 70% of my time traveling. Yeah. Out and about meeting clients. And once I was near an international airport, it was perfect. Yeah. So that's why I'm only 10 minutes from Orlando Airport. Yeah. So you're yeah. in Rimbo, between Rimbo and Uppsala kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when you were saying you were traveling around, was that mostly traveling around the Nordic region? Would it be an awful no, lot? No, into the Nordics and into Europe and into Eastern Europe uh, with the key accounts for the company that I worked for. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. And that led then to, to sort of going into other industries and that kind of thing, the whole branding and marketing thing there. Yeah, and, and market penetration yeah. with, with brands from France, Italy, Germany, and some startups. And yeah. um, basically, I suppose, trying to, how would you simplify it? Brands or, or organizations which want to do something but think it's very, very complicated and it's a big thing and need to help to break it down into... Yeah, digestible Small. pieces, like, yeah. Easy, simple goals, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, a lot of the time across different industries, regardless of what it is, there is certain common things yeah. or ways you will do something which works, mm-hmm. you know. What, what are those sort of golden secrets now? If you were to be oh. setting up something, say a company gets onto this podcast and say, we need yeah. somebody, get Paddy Looney, you want to break into the Swedish market. What yeah. would be the first three things you tell them to do? Be very clear about what it is you want to do. You have to have your goals set, kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, exactly, and achievable. And also, I think the the biggest thing I've learned, I've been lucky over the years, 
Now, looking back after 20 odd years, mm. I've worked for and with some really, really brilliant people. Yeah. And now I really realize the value of that. Yeah. And that, I think, transcends into get good people around you. Yeah. Not necessarily a professor or somebody with extremely high education in a certain field, but character more so. Yeah, yeah. You know. Doers, people who get, who get Doers and the right character, get the right people around you and develop that network. Mm. And the older you get, you probably realize yourself. Yeah. The more valuable that network is. Yeah. So like recently, just for a particular thing, I touched base with a guy I worked with oh, 22 years ago yeah. in IT. And we were salespeople in the one company. Mm. And him and two other guys I worked with went off and set up the, a company in Ireland. Mm. And it's flying now. They employ 250 people. They just bought over a new company. But I just reached out for some advice and something. I was home in Ireland. And one hour with him, invaluable. Yeah. And it was like, you know, like it was like stepping back in time 20 years. Yeah. When we used to be on the road together as field sales, you know? Yeah. But um, that's what I would suggest to people is get the right people around you. And also, never be afraid to ask advice. Yeah. You know, There's a lot of brands lot of people, I work with, they yeah. say, hey, where would we find expertise in this? Or who's the best in the world at that? This guy or this lady, give them a call. <gasps> but I don't know them. But you won't if you don't ring them. Exactly. Yeah. What can, the worst thing they can say is no. Uh, yeah. And genuinely, out of you know a hundred experts or celebrities or famous people or these you know that you would call, mm. ninety eight of them more than happy to give you their time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I've done in the past. If I wasn't, if I wanted it, like even in that idea with the semen station. Yeah. When it came oh, to more semen and stuff and veterinary, you just say, okay, I ask around, who's the most knowledgeable in Europe on this? Yeah. This guy in England, I call him. And I said, what do you want to do? This. <gasps> Was that going to work? Yeah. So I went over to England for four days and I sat with him and I picked his brain and came back and I'm still good friends with him. Yeah. We bounce ideas off each other, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we have to explain to people what it is we're talking about here. Yeah, right? yeah, and, okay. and yes, you did hear right. Paddy did just say semen station, right? Yeah. So basically, you sent me a video that in many countries would probably be considered <laughs> pornographic, right? <laughs> and it was to do with horses and to yeah. do with, with semen and everything else. Uh, what's the big idea, to quote Alan Partridge? <laughs> what's the big idea? <laughs> I don't know, was it a good idea at the time? It, it was <laughs> but an idea, it, anyway. It was, a con it was just a conversation a few years back here in Sweden. Yeah. My partner had horses and breeding and whatever. And I said, well, why don't people use this really good stallion in Europe or this frozen semen to breed a better horse? Mm -hmm. I said, well, it's very difficult here in the industry in Sweden because it's you, you too, when you breed a horse, you can mm -hmm. use either fresh semen mm -hmm. from a local stallion yeah. that's tapped and you get it fresh because semen's only viable for uh, a short period, matter yeah. of hours, maybe 24, 48 hours. It decreases constantly. Yeah. Or you use a much smaller dose of frozen, yeah. which makes it more technical and difficult to achieve pregnancy. But um, at the time here, um, while it had been relatively successful, mm -hmm. when you're you know, in any business you're in, you may say, oh, well, we're very successful. Mm. Well, how are you measuring yourself? Yeah. Against what? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And I said, well, you can do better. What do you mean? We have much better stallions to stand fresh. Yeah. And my partner or friends here say, well, how would you achieve that? Go to Europe and get the best you can get. Yeah. But you're never going to get them here. Why? So it's constantly, won't work, won't work. I said, of course it could work. You know, if you wanted to make it happen. So basically what I did, I set up a company... Um, and the idea was to have stallions where you could have fresh semen 
import and do agreements for the best stallions around the world via frozen semen and have them in storage here. Mm -hmm. And then also on top of that, have the veterinary services available to do all the inseminations. Yeah. And the biggest barrier to that was to secure a Swedish vet. You have a huge shortage of veterinarians in Sweden. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a critical at this point. It's in the news quite regularly um, because we just don't have enough veterinarians. Yeah. So only recently it was in the news where a guy had to shoot his own horse because it was injured and he could not get a vet to come out to do the job for him. Why, why is there such a shortage of vets? Are we not paying them properly? Are they not studying? Um, I don't think we produce enough vets here. But one, you could argue the same in Ireland. We only have, I think in Ireland, it's only UCD, yeah. one vet school. You go to Spain or Italy, it's full of vets. They have them everywhere, yeah. There's so many veterinary colleges, yeah. you know. So like that, the, one of the barriers to doing that particular business that I set up was you can't get a vet. Mm. And if you want to do frozen semen insemination, by my standards of excellence, you want to inseminate that within three hours post-ovulation. Yeah. And you won't get... It's very difficult to find a vet that wants to do that at two o'clock in the morning. And it, it's literally that. You call them and go, hang on a second, this horse needs you right now. Can well, we? that's your option. Yeah. But that's difficult. So what I did was I looked around into Europe and asked for the best reproductive vet I can find. Yeah. From Spain. I said, come up to us here. So she came up and she lived on the place with us, in the apartment, yeah. for the season, pay well, do well, and work like crazy for that season. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so we would, the team would be out, the technicians I would employ, and her, at one o'clock, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, just an ovulation. How do you find, is there an alarm goes off when the ovulation happens with the horse? No, a lot of it is feeling, you see, because you don't have that. What they, You must scan regularly. Yeah. So a vet is scanning and looking at the scanner, touch, feel, and get an idea of, okay, this is close. I think this is going to ovulate within the next four to six hours. Yeah. Okay, we need to check it now in three hours again. Then you check it again. Oh, she's just ovulated quick. And then you must get the semen in and inseminated. Particularly with frozen, because with fresh semen... You've quite a lot, anywhere from 20 to 40 mil. Yeah, yeah. With frozen, you've only 0.5 mil. That's not much. And very little in it. And yeah. it's frozen, so like it's, everything has to be perfect. Yeah. In, in one way, it sounds very hit and miss. In mm. another way, it sounds extremely scientific. You know, is it, you know, sort of. Yeah, it's very interesting you say that. There's like you looking from the outside in. Yeah, yeah. Yes, very hit and miss, if you allow it to be hit and miss. <laughs> but aim small, miss small. True enough, yeah. Yeah, so like if you apply any business idea to that particular thing, mm. um, yes, it could be hit and miss. Mm. But you're playing with a lot of money there from a client. Yeah. That straw could be worth 2,000 euro. Jesus. And it might cost 500 euro to transport it in the veterinary service another 2,000 euro. Yeah. So if you just hit and miss, oh, if it works, it works. Fine, but the breeder's out 5,000 euro. Yeah, and you won't be in business long if you're not delivering, right? Well, you won't, or they won't be happy, so that's why you go to... So the management of the uterus, so hence I reached out to experts all over Europe mm. and asked my contacts, who is the best reproductive vets in yeah. Europe, Italy, the Netherlands? Okay, protocols Yeah. for... Because we would do... We insist on doing a back test. So we would do take a swab mm. in a particular manner from inside the uterus prior... Yeah. To identify is there any infections. Okay. Because if the embryo is created and it drops down into a dirty uterus, it's gone. Yeah. So we would try and cover and have a protocol to cover all bases. Mm. And that we would keep a little bit guarded. Yeah. Between ourselves and our veterinary team to say, okay, to achieve success. Yeah. And like, for example, in that first year, 
there was a particular top-class stallion called Emerald. And we had the agency for his frozen semen. And we sent out the first 15 individual straws around Sweden. Yeah. And nothing came back pregnant. Okay. And our first 14 inseminations in our own place, everything was pregnant. So where's the problem? But the problem is obviously with the rest of them because they're not doing exactly not doing yeah. So you get half if you if you okay if you scan a mare at before you go home in the evening six o'clock and you say okay she may be ready tomorrow and you don't scan again for fourteen hours oh she's ovulated throw it in she may have ovulated ten hours before yeah that you may as well throw out. you may as well throw that in the bin <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> exactly yeah there's no chance whatsoever you're gonna yeah, get that so. you know? Is it, a, is it a big money business? You mentioned that stallion Emerald. What would a horse uh, like that n- cost? Not, not compared to the thoroughbreds. Yeah. You know, because in the thoroughbreds, it's a completely different industry. You have massive prize money. You've, you've betting, yeah. which drives the whole thing. Mm-hmm. In the sport horse, in show jumping and dressage, no, there's, it's, it's not as big. Mm-hmm. But it depends what you put it on, you know. Like, if his semen is 1,000 euro per straw and he sells 1 or 2 million euro frozen per year plus his fresh semen... That's okay. <laughs> it yeah. sounds like a great business altogether. If you own that stallion, yeah, I don't own it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you would then charge—is uh, it the owner of the mare then that you charge for the for the service? Yeah, the exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, how hard do they they send the mares to you here in Sweden then? So yeah, they send the mares to us here in Sweden, but also we would. I have uh, this year the company is, uh, and I'm not involved in the day to day running of it now. I'm too busy other work, Doing consultancy stuff, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Um, we would have six stallions here ourselves. Yeah. So say now this morning, the team would be receiving in orders for all the stallions. Yeah. And they collect the stallion one after another after another and ship the individual orders out around Sweden. Yeah. And yeah. that would be frozen when they ship That would it be, that would be, no, we chill it down. So it's collected this morning. Yeah. And then it's extended, treated. We use extenders mixed with antibiotics and different mm-hmm. um, ingredients within the extender to hold the viability of the sperm. Yeah. And then we cool it down into a like a frizzly box. Yeah, yeah. And that's shipped overnight with a special transporter to all the stations around Sweden. Yeah. And how quickly would that be used then afterwards? Would it be in the ideal scenario, you see the vet would scan this morning, maybe in Skåne. Yeah. And say, okay, this mare I think is going to ovulate now tonight or tomorrow. Yeah. So with fresh semen, it's viable for much longer. Hmm. They would order off us. It leaves today at two o'clock, and it'll arrive with a special semen transporter, which yeah. we have in Sweden. <laughs> uh, maybe at two o'clock in the morning, three in the morning. Wow. Because they have loops around Sweden. So we would ship all of maybe 25 boxes today yeah. in a van. And he goes around the Stockholm area to the other stallion owners, collects yeah. them, and maybe meets somebody in Jan Sherping tonight and switches over. Yeah. And then it goes down the country and it's a really efficient system. Yeah, so they take everything for Skåne and Blaking. Exactly, and kind of yeah, yeah. But there. we also would fly semen on the airplanes up north as well. Would you? Yeah, yeah to Luleå yeah. and these kinds yeah, of places. Yeah. Is it a big business in Sweden? Um, yeah, it's relatively big. You know, in the, you know, how do you compare it? I thought it was an opportunity anyway. Yeah. Because say there's between three and 4,000 mares bred every year. Yeah. So... If if your average semen sales price is one and a half thousand euro, fifteen thousand kroner, yeah, okay, we'll look at the value of that. Mm. Fine, it's okay, but like last year we had our one of our stallions was the second most used stallion in Sweden. The year before, also the second most used stallion. Mm. So if they do one hundred and sixty to one hundred and seventy mares at one and a half thousand euro each over a three month period, it's, it's okay. That's a pretty decent uh, chunk yeah. of change there, all right, yeah. yeah. 
Um, I have to ask the question. So if yeah. anybody's eating their lunch at this point in time, you may put it aside, right? Yeah. You talked about collecting the semen there. How oh, does, yeah, How yeah. does that process work? Because I think that was the video that you showed me, was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, um, I still can't work out what's going on. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, well, in the thoroughbred world, it's only natural covering is allowed. So yeah. a stallion must jump on the individual mare. So if you're in Ireland, you bring your mare to cool more, the stallion will jump on. Yeah. And that's... Uh, a large part of the reason for that is to make sure you don't get condensed bloodlines. Okay. Yeah. The sport horse industry is not as regulated. Um, so it's nearly a free-for-all. Yeah. So you can breed as much as you want with an individual stallion. So if I go and I want to collect stallion off, off a, if I have a valuable stallion, mm-hmm. you might remember years ago, or and still today, there's a lot of stallions do what we call a natural cover. Mm-hmm. They'll jump up in the mare. I, we wouldn't do that with our stallions. They're too valuable yeah. in case something gets injured. But also, when we when we get the semen in the morning, this morning from one stallion, he may produce enough, which would be work for, say, 10, 12 mares. Yeah. And I have orders for 10. So, I, you know, I need to... His semen is valuable. Yeah. You can't... It's not like a tap. No, exactly. Do you know what I mean? You, <laughs> you can't, can't just, just okay, now collect the semen yeah. and say, oh, and look at Aline a little bit more. You know, maybe he's not <laughs> in the humour, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I think what you had seen was... Um, how we do it is we bring the stallion into a collecting room mm-hmm. out of the stable and it basically what we have is a phantom mare, we call it, like yeah. a dummy mare, which is mounted into the concrete floor. Yeah. And we've trained the stallions to imitate that like a real mare. Yeah. And they will jump up on it. So one person is holding it and the stallion jumps up and the other person has what we call an AV, an artificial vagina. Yeah. And that would be set up to suit that particular stallion. Okay. The temperature of it, the feeling of it, the lubrication, everything. So it has to replicate a mare. And uh, when he jumps up, you let him go inside the AV. Yeah. And you hold that there and let him basically cover the AV. Yeah. And protect yourself and protect him. And Out with the umbrella and that's that. Yeah, that's it. And uh, yeah, like funny, like you saw a video of it being done. And it looks yeah. fairly straightforward and simple. But that particular morning, just we... We had a girl rang in sick, so I popped in you to do You had to it. jump in there, yeah? Do it for the fun, yeah, but... Um, <laughs> I couldn't it, believe it when that showed up me. Yeah, I'm like... like it, this it, is what I'm up to. <laughs> it, can be, it, can be, it can be quite dangerous, if you don't yeah. know, and that's sort of why, you know, you instruct people new into it. Look, this is what we do, and mm. when you do it often enough, it's very easy. Yeah. You could do seven, ten a day, and I've never had any problems, but... If you do something wrong, it can go wrong, you know. It can go seriously wrong. Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And where you are there now, as I say, outside of Limbo there, and on uh, like some Swedish mile outside, right? Mm-hmm. Do you get, there's a load of young people here, girls in particular, who are into horses. They yeah. call themselves over their horse guys. Right? So yeah. Do you get them, much as when you went to Paul Dara's? Uh, Never, it uh, doesn't exist anymore. Nobody would knock on your gate and say. Not, not, a, not a chance. Would they mail you? Would they hit you no. up on Snapchat? No. no. They don't come looking for you at all? No, the, the, the main uh, impediment to growing a business like that is you cannot get access to staff. And I, I don't mean like the Paul Darf, I mean unionized salary. Yeah, trained people, etc. Well, not even, they're not even trained, but yeah. you will train them and pay them well, a really good salary. Yeah. I offer a salary more than what a starting level police person in Sweden would get. Yeah. Could not get anybody to do it. Why is that? They don't have to. Because they have other things that they could be doing instead or going to college or... Well, I, I don't know. It's I can only give anecdotal evidence. Yeah. I don't, wouldn't make a generalization about Sweden or other countries, but yeah. what I find is that they don't have to because they're going to have their iPads, iPhones anyway. Yeah, they have I a good I don't know where it comes from. I don't yeah. know where... Swish, I call it. The Swish... 
Papa can do swish. Yeah, have a couple of them at home. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so like at the same time, we do have some people working for us there, super younger, out of yeah. uh, on school from Equestrian University here. Yeah. And they're really interested. Mm. Particularly if you get them in, because you can explain to them, look at the future, there's so much possibilities. Yeah. If you think working with horses, people think, oh, I'm in a stable. Hey, whoa, have a look around. And I said to a, a girl working for us last week, the horse there had to be bred. Who stood the stallion? Yeah. Who sold the semen? Who started the pharmaceutical company to make that new extender, which lasts for eight days? Yeah. You know, like the possibilities are endless. It's in, a huge in anything. business around it, yeah. Yeah, but around it, the equipment, the training, the, um, the feed stuff. So mm. like if you're interested in horses, I'd say to young people, you know, don't limit your, your idea of where you can go. Mm. You can do anything. You don't just be a stable lad. No, or you can do you anything. Yeah. It helps to be. And I think what I was what I was trying to say to this girl is, if you do what you love, it's not work. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I was working for that Irish company for sixteen years, and you're traveling all the time. And yeah, I don't think I even knew what holidays were. Yeah, two weeks or three. When I came to Sweden, I meet people I'm on my six week holidays. I wouldn't have taken <laughs> six weeks holidays in ten years, yeah. man. But I didn't need to because you know, if you love what you do, it's not work. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. The same thing here, like, you know, I was saying there a couple of weeks ago that, you know, trying to get guests for the podcast before the holiday starts. It's not because I'm not going to be working. It's because yeah. everybody else is going to disappear, you know, yeah, just trying yeah, to get yeah. these things in there. Um, if I could play devil's advocate for a second, yeah. right, because obviously the horse industry in Ireland is huge, right? Yeah. But sometimes I've asked the question because one of the problems I have with horse racing in particular mm. is the problems that people have with gambling, right? Yeah. Would this industry be hugely sort of, you know, if nobody bet on horse racing, mm. would the industry collapse in the morning or would it still, you know, the thoroughbreds might, but how would that affect things? I would think it? it would collapse, yeah. Do you think so, yeah? Yeah. Would that be a bad thing? I don't think it would be a bad thing to get rid of gambling. Mm. I hate it. And I, because I've seen, I've seen the worst of it. Mm. You know, I've had good friends in really, really bad, difficult situations yeah. with that. I've lost a friend over it, you know, um, and I think, I think it's like the elephant in the room. Yeah. And there's not enough being done about it. Mm. You know, like, it, I remember my father years ago saying to me, whatever we were, um, he was interested in horse racing, and so was I. But I remember he made a very good point one time about having a beer. He said, if I send you out tonight, you're going to drink so much money. Would you go gambling? You can lose everything in an hour. This is it. This is, it. This is what I mean. Yeah. And it's frightening. It shouldn't be, a, it, you know, if you think of it, there's certain controls governments or states will put in and say, you cannot do this, it's bad for your health. Yeah. You cannot buy this if you're 16. Mm. But you have unlimited access to gambling. It's frightening. Yeah. And it is, like, it's proven and scientifically proven that release of dopamine yeah. is no different than cocaine or heroin or something else. And Same you thing. speak to people who gamble or are, 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 or they're always going to be an addict to it. Mm. It's like... I don't think there's ever been a study done. In years to come, it may come out the damage it has done to society. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Wives and partners and kids and, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, while I love horse racing and I love horses, mm. that, like, ugh, no. It's an awful thing. Not like that it. side of it, no. No, that's, and that's the problem, like, the, because I remember, uh, it was the Irish writer, Declan Lynch, he does write a column for the Sunday Independent mm. and that, and he made the point, and I thought it was very sort of interesting that, 
if you take heroin or if you mm. drink too much, eventually, physically, it's going to manifest yeah. itself. I'm going to look at you, Paddy, and go say, okay, you're drinking too much. You're doing you don't too look good, yeah. Yeah, but if you're gambling, you can hold it together, you know. And the yeah. gamblers that I've spoken to who've lost, between them, they've lost millions. Mm. And you'd never know to look at them. You know, no, get until up it moment. completely goes pear-shaped. This is it. Yeah. People within the horse industry, because you made the differentiation there between the thoroughbreds and what yeah. you call the sport yeah. horse and that kind of thing. How do people in the industry view gambling? Would they share your opinion of it? Would it be only the people in horse racing who think that the betting is a great idea because it funds everything? Yeah, I think it's interesting enough because people just embedded in the sport horse industry where we don't really, we don't have any gambling. Yeah. There's little bits of things are done and little initiatives, but we don't have gambling. Mm. Um, I often say it's a pyramid scheme then. Yeah, yeah. Because if you have a valuable horse, where is it going to end up? Yeah. It's basically just going to end up with somebody who can afford to buy it to jump at a horse show in Paris or Cannes or Mexico or Brazil, you know? Yeah. But um, when there's, so I, I, that's the only thing I can look at is that there is no gambling to it. So they, they don't really think of that. And a lot of sport horse people in this part of the world have no interest or any idea about horse racing. Now, in Ireland, there's a massive crossover. You know, there is a massive crossover. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of them, a lot within the industry, oh, well, gambling is fine if you're responsible. And yeah, I'm sure it is fine. But I, personally, I don't think it's controlled the way it should be. No, this is the thing. And it's, like I say, it's so difficult. What your father said about, you know, you can go and you can lose absolutely everything. You know, like yeah. you can throw everything. Oh, I've, I've seen it done. I've seen people I know and they lost 50, 60,000 euro in a day. Yeah. That they didn't have. Yeah. And they always think, oh, I can win it back, I can win it back, and then yeah. you don't, you know. Mm. I remember um, Nick Leeson, the man who broke Bearings Bank, uh, yeah, and yeah. went on the run, and Nick was subsequently the chairperson at Galway United Football Club and that. And that was his thing. And it was literally that thing of, well, if I've lost 10 euro now, if I bet 20 euro the next time, and 40 euro the next time, yeah. and eventually he lost a bank, you know. And he said, yeah. I was convinced I was clever, and I was just like any other gambler. Yeah, by yeah, the end yeah. Of it now, you know? um, in terms of the industry, you spoke about uh, young people getting into it now, and there's so yeah. many opportunities around the place. Um, what's the holy grail for you, right? If you, you set up this business, it's yeah. doing very, very well. It's very scientific based. You know, yeah. you've gone from sort of, you know, alchemy into science and that. Well, it is, but there's a blend of marketing in it also. Yeah. You know, it's how to, and uh, as I said, okay, it's super. And my partner in the business, Linda, is going to run that on herself. Yeah. Um, and has done all of this since the end of last year. But um, it's like trying to look at something and say, okay, how do we package this? Yeah. So, like, things we did a bit differently at that point also, this is going back five years ago, was if you want to breed your mare here in Sweden, say, I'd like to, uh, what stallion should I use? There were still people sending out once per year a little homemade printed book. Yeah. So we went and went completely down the social media channel. Mm. Instagram, Facebook, I had sponsored posts with half a million people I could see afterwards and stuff, you know? And we can, like, so, like, we would see the correlation between a certain post released and orders that would come in mm. that evening on that particular stallion. And that's not like trying to trick people. It's just, but it's just trying to highlight yeah. what you have. It's just trying to adapt a bit more modern practices to a very traditional industry, you yeah. know? But it's interesting because, um, I've been talking about like all these podcasts you're doing, that kind of thing. You're trying to grow it. You're trying to find the audience. And that's exactly it. So like, where are the audience now? And the audience aren't reading, you know, pieces no, of paper that correct. you send out anymore. You no. know, where are your customers coming from? Is it only in Sweden that you sell to or do you sell to? Yeah, well, we're not. There's a thing. We're not an EU station, which means we cannot export the semen. Okay. And there's a reason behind that. I would love to do it, but it doesn't make sense. Uh, and I'll tell you why that is. For example, if you're in France and you have the stallion I have, mm-hmm. to export it, it is an export. It's good for the economy. 
uh, under European law, you must get a veterinarian to sign off the paper mm-hmm. or sign off the semen, give it an EU health certificate before you can send it. Uh, the French government would subsidize the cost of that okay. to um, incentivize export. Yeah. Here in Sweden, I would have to get a district veterinarian from Rimbo to come to do that. Now, the last time for exporting a horse is 13 kilometers, and it cost me 1,800 kroner just on mileage before she got there. Jesus. Then you have the cost. So if I had to have that cost every time we shipped one, the buyer in Europe is going to have to pay that cost if you yeah. say, I'm not paying that. There's no way they're paying that. Like yeah. So recently I did, a, I did an interview in a podcast with uh, SVB, which is Swedish Warm Blood Association yeah, yeah. for breeders. And um, I like the old thing. I promise I won't get political. <laughs> but this came up in the conversation about how we could grow the industry. Yeah. And I said, looking from what we learn in Ireland, mm. you, you have a huge representation of the whole industry mm-hmm. within government. If you look at the funding given out to Horse Sport Ireland, horse yeah, racing, yeah. yeah, in Sweden, we don't have that. There's none of that kind of support. Well, here, equestrian is second only in participation, youth participation to soccer. Yeah. It's a massive industry here. but It's very fragmented. We don't yeah. have representation to government. So, and I don't mean like to, oh, I want my local commune to build a riding school. What I mean is as an industry yeah. to grow and develop jobs. We don't have that. So it's it's quite difficult. Well, in, in Ireland, they're actually really good at that in terms of lobbying, in terms of getting to the table. Exactly. I didn't want to use the word, but lobbying. And I've spoken to some my friends back home who are brilliant at that. Mm. How can that change here? Because the one thing that I'm careful of is the discussion we just had around gambling and that, yeah. you know, that that's leveraged in lobbying as well. And we have to yeah. be sort of cognizant of that, right? But also, it would seem to me from what you're saying that this is an extremely healthy industry. It's an extremely yeah. promising industry. Yeah. There's good, solid jobs there. It's doing everything in terms of high technology, mm. uh, there's social media, there's all mm. these other things. Is that what the SVB, the Svans Van Bloods, uh, no. is that what they need to do? They need to get to the table and, and sort of stake their claim? Yeah, well, I suppose, look, at they're in representative of breeders within that stud book of sport horses. But even as, yeah, but like if we look at the sport horse industry as a whole, mm. um, it, it, it requires um, some level of a collective representative body. Mm to represent industry at government level, I feel. Mm. And funny enough, I was only contacted the other day from a political party that wanted to speak to me at the upcoming Falstable Horse Show yes, to yeah. interview to talk about what are other European countries doing mm. or the representative bodies within that to help the industry. Mm. I said, okay, look, at let's have a think about that. I, don't, I wouldn't profess to be an expert on it, but from travelling around the world for 20 years, yeah. you see how it works in other countries and... Yeah. You see the funding available and how it's structured and you say, oh, mm. we can do, because when you're in the European Union, if you produce milk or you produce a component for a wind farm or horse semen, you're competing against other European Union countries. Yeah, yeah. So we have to be looking to see how do we keep mm. our competitiveness. So, so what, what are the barriers in Sweden that, you know, Correct. Are what are your, what, yeah, and identify these barriers and figure out, okay, why is it that my veterinary costs are so high here? Mm. Um, are well, they- and like only yesterday, for example, I was warned by a local large uh, producer of haylage. He said, Paddy, next month, haylage in Sweden will go to 1,000 kroner per bale. Okay. 18 months ago, it was 500 kroner. Yeah, so, it's so your be- haylage price, your feed price has doubled. Yeah. You cannot keep your charges. You're at the same level. You have to put the prices up. Maybe. Yeah, something's going to have to give. Huh? Yeah. 
Uh, are they hard people to get together, right? I'm going to compare it to, in the sport of mixed martial arts, everybody talks about the, the, the fighters need a union because they can't get anything without yeah. getting together. But, yeah. but they're the most individualistic people you'll meet. Mm. Are, are horse breeders and people in business like yourself, are they hard people to get around the table and to get to agree on things? Because if you can't do that, then you can't leverage the sort of the scale of the sport. Yeah, right? it is difficult, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why is that? Why, is everybody sort of trying to look after their own well, little feet? Not, well, also, you know, funny enough, um, well, if you look back home in Ireland, when you go to an event, if it's racing or show jumping, or whatever, mm. uh, people are very, very social. I was back recently in the show and everybody's communicating, chatting mm. in the coffee shop, what's happening? And we're a trading nation in yeah. Ireland. Every horse is for sale. <laughs> yeah, no matter what if it you're is. You're coming enough money, you'll get it. Like. Uh, yeah, you, every horse is for sale. You're at a horse show. Yeah. Girl walks out. She wouldn't be at the last fence. Her daddy would sell the horse underneath her. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> you approach a lady at a show here in Stockholm. Yeah. Hey, I like your. Is it for sale? She get offended. Would they? Yeah. Well, they're not a trading nation here. We don't breed to sell. Yeah. Not really. Not in that not same, in the same level. Way, like yeah. Not in the same way. Yeah. Wow. So that makes it individualistic. Mm. So it's but 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 still, I do see a change whereby breeders are looking to expand their world. Mm. How do I target international clients? So we would have sold horses over the years primarily to the U.S. market. Mm. A South American market, yeah, via Europe. A lot of them come via there, and of course, breeders are hungry to know. Hey, I have this young horse or something in Fallon and Yevla. How can I get her to a good client in Florida? Yeah, you know, and they need that network that you already have, kind of thing, or that knowledge. Yeah, that you well, already have. it's they need they're they're yearning to understand. Okay, how should I do this? But as I explain, you know, it's you have to brand yourself. And over a period of time, and develop your own network. It's not something you can switch on overnight. No, you have to put some thought and research. Yeah, and, and also maybe have a think about it. You might find the same client in Stockholm. You don't have to try and get to Florida with it. You know, no, you can get the same money from there. Yeah, like you know, yeah. selling to Florida for its own sake doesn't give you just anything, for the sake know? of it yeah. to put a picture on Instagram, right? Fine, but yeah. the bank manager doesn't care about that. <laughs> no, exactly. It's the same amount of yeah. zeros at the <laughs> yeah, end of it. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Um, in terms of Ireland's image in yeah. in the horse world here, because mm-hmm. it's one of those things that when. Who we mentioned just before we came on, if you tell some people uh, that, you know, that you're from Ireland, they'll drill yeah. a hole in your head telling you more yeah. about Ireland than you ever yeah. cared about. Um, does Ireland have a good reputation for horses and horse breeding among Swedes? And does that help you in your business that you are from Ashbourne County Meath, that you grew up steeped in that culture? Yeah, yeah, it does. And wherever you, it's an old cliche to say Iron, Irish, Irish people and horse people, but yeah. when, you, when you're around the world, you realise the value of it. Yeah. Because... You know, you can go to some countries in their first or second generation horse people. Mm. But for us, it's been hundreds of years. Mm. So you rarely meet somebody in Ireland doesn't have some connection to a horse for generation, generation. So we, you picked it up. You can go to college and study about veterinary or equine science. But the old graft of learning, you can look at a horse and know it's not happy. There's something mm. wrong with it just by looking at it. You only get that from, there's an old friend of mine back home would say man hours. Yeah, yeah. Just spending time and time from your kid, it's all, and you're around them, so you can just pick up things, you know? Yeah. It's like osmosis, like you just learn. <laughs> it's weird, yeah. People. You sort of know, because they can't talk, but you can see, and, you, and also because we're such a wide variety within the industry back home. Yeah. So when I was younger then, and I wanted to learn as much as I could, so I went working for vets who were specialized in certain areas of rehabilitation or lameness, just to follow them around to try and learn something as much as you could. And um, we had that opportunity back home. And a lot, in a lot of countries, you don't have that. Yeah. So for us, what a lot of things may be obvious are not obvious to other people. Yeah. 
No. I'm just thinking that, you know, we mentioned that, you know, that breeders here in your teeth get together and that kind of thing. Do you see, the, is there some sort of attempt to get maybe you to take responsibility for this? And they say, right, Paddy, Maybe, but I say, nay. <laughs> you, you don't want to do it, do you? <laughs> I have enough to be doing now. <laughs> we have yeah. enough. Like, yeah. And um, we haven't really talked too much about uh, the consulting that you do outside. Yeah, things, yeah. Right? How do people find you? Is it by reputation? Is it by... Yeah, it's often by word of mouth, actually. Yeah. That's it, yeah. yeah. And yeah. what kind of company? Would it be big companies? Would it be startups that come looking for you? <laughs> Some, yeah, big, uh, yeah, and... A lot under NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. Oh, we <laughs> you know, because you, yeah, <laughs> but you, yeah, like um, some European companies here, and across a wide variety of areas. Because, funny enough, the Nordics I find from Central Europeans, whether it's Sweden, Norway, Denmark, they think, oh, it's right up there. They don't understand anything about the market. Yeah, you know, it's like and different languages in every country and currencies and yeah. So a lot of brands and organizations just think, oh, it sounds like it's an attractive market, but it just sounds too daunting. Too Where would you start? How, you know, but when you're here for 15 or 20 years, mm. what for me and you, you say, oh, look, this is straightforward. Mm. Or regulations, they're afraid about regulations. So often you find, you probably realize also, we have a type of a corporate and business culture here. And... Once you understand that, it makes life an awful lot easier because mm-hmm. you know where you need to check. Okay, if it's you're working with a pharmaceutical company, who must I register with? Who must I apply to? Can I say this? Can I do this? Mm-hmm. No, you can't. Okay, where do we, who would be prospective clients for this? Mm-hmm. In Norway, in Sweden, you say, okay, that type of a product is sold here, here, here. Mm-hmm. And thankfully over time, while it's a massive area, it's actually quite small, as you know, population-wise. yeah. 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 So you'd be surprised how many people you run into and you do business with repeatedly in different areas over the years, you know? So, What's your favourite thing about the business culture in Scandinavia? Uh, my favourite thing? I think it's its straightforward transparency and honesty. Yeah. Once you understand how that works, mm. you know? As you know, when you come here to do business, if you say you're going to do something, you better do it. Yeah, people say yeah. what they mean around here. Yeah, yeah. and like if you approach it in a very transparent and honest way. Mm. Say even to a prospective client mm. on behalf of a company and they realize and accept that you are genuine, they will be open and say, okay, this is how we work. Mm. They don't hide anything and say, okay, if we're going to do business like this or uh, this project is going to start, these are the boxes we must be ticked. Mm. And it's very black and white, mm. which... I find it good then because if you're working on behalf of a client, whether they're a very small startup or an existing large mechanical engineering company that's looking with a project in the north of Sweden, mm-hmm. you say, guys, are you ready for this? Yeah. You're going to have to tick these boxes because you don't go in here at a senior level to a meeting unprepared. Yeah. You know? They'll just they'll run you out of there if you haven't got everything done. Yeah, or, 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 or better again, often they'll say nothing. Yeah. You and know, they'll the just culture. never call you. You never hear anything from them. <laughs> you know, whereas if you go to Italy or do business in Spain, yeah, they roar and shout around the place. And but here and the culture here is a lot different. It's getting things done. Yeah. What's your least favorite thing about doing business up here? Oh, the least favorite thing about doing business: the six weeks holidays every year. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Only this morning I say, "Look at when can we get this appointment?" Oh, Paddy, I'm not back till the fifteenth of August. I say, "Yeah, I uh, hear." I've already got a few of those out of office messages. Yeah, exactly. Today, like, so, you know? I, and that's a, and and also you see when you're when you work with international clients, you don't realize. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, it. guys, look at the everybody's on holidays here for six. Yeah. What do you mean? And that's from the plumber to the farrier to the CEO. 
Yeah, you know what are you gonna gone. do? Like, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And it's not that thing as well. Like, there's certain people that you know when they go on holidays, they'll answer an email anyway. Like, I yeah, know if yeah. I call you in a week's time, you're gonna answer the phone just in yeah. case I have something for you, right? There's people there that they're they're not answering the phone for love nor money. Buddy. No, but you know the funny thing? It took me years to appreciate that. Yeah, my partner used to go crazy. We'd go on holidays, July, August, the kids, yeah. and I'd be sneaking out in the morning time with the laptop at the pool. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, but I have to. I have to. The, the king of Sweden wouldn't reply to an email on his holidays. Not, not a chance. But do we do that because of the culture we come from? Because yeah, and I think it's a wrong. I think it's a. Well, also look at where we come from. You don't work, you don't eat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we didn't have a backup. No, you know, and like you know, thinking back on it, uh, you you come from Dublin, obviously. I do indeed. Yeah, yeah. and I we had no secondary school in Ashburn. I remember we I went to O'Connell's, the North Circular Road, oh, which is on well, Richmond yeah. Street. Yeah. You arrive in there from Ashburn in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Jesus. That was poverty. Yeah. And then you realize, ah, God, I thought I had nothing. You walk around Joseph Mansion, Sheriff Street in those yeah. days. They had nothing. You don't work, you don't eat. No, that's what it's like, you know. And like we still carry a little bit of that. And you nearly, but I'm better than I was. Now I give myself that time off. I'll yeah. be more like the Swedes and say, no, yeah. I, I'm going to take a holiday. Or take that weekend to go fishing with the kids or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, you're still you're able to do that now in a way, like you know? <laughs> yeah, in a way I'm better. Yeah, oh, yeah, not perfect, but where, where do you see it going from here? Because is this a business that you know the way? Sometimes a sort of a serial entrepreneur like yourself, a man mm. who understands the value of network and how to yeah. how to set up a business, is the objective to set this business up and sell it? Is this something that's going no? To be it's already pension? transferred. So I yeah. Well, if, funny enough, you know, I was talking to I was in Germany this week with a company. Um, that's looking to grow here also and uh, with uh, some of their sales reps as we're yeah. talking privately we're talking about oh trying to achieve stuff and being happy and but like you ask a sports person you mentioned MMA earlier on yeah. I was young I used to do martial arts and play fo- but uh, and when you're involved in this sport it's not winning that th- competition or class it's the j- on your way to it yeah you know what I mean so often as they see uh, the future I love to do is work. I love the variety. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Different so challenges every different day. Different challenges, you know, and meeting different people and asking from random industries. Mm. How does this work? How does that work? Mm. Like, for example, last week I was in a cafe restaurant in Uppsala speaking with the owner. I was trying to ask him how he does the food menu Yeah. to save the chicken. Yeah. Well, then I changed to this. And what is his business strategy to make sure he reduces the waste yeah. and he gets everything right with his chefs. And it was class to listen to him. Yeah. You know, he's very, very the, successful. The planning that goes into that. Yeah. yeah this yeah. is not just do a menu. Yeah. You know, but like, you know, and, and like the previous week I, I was speaking with um, um, the CEO of a very, very large Irish company mm-hmm. just talking about his business here in the Nordics and what his plans are over the next couple of years. Yeah. And how does he structure that? Yeah. And, and, you know, you go from a restaurant to a massive yeah. uh, electrical engineering company. Mm. But what I mean is, uh, for Endgame, for me, I love working across different companies and initiatives mm. and industries because there's a lot of similarities, but it gives the variety is very interesting. You meet so many people, you know? Yeah. Do you think you'll ever retire? No. God, no. What would I do? You sound afraid of the prospect, as I am no. myself. Frighten the life out of me. No. <laughs> Jesus, I couldn't be doing that. What would that. I do? No. Do, you, do you ever get up on a horse yourself in the morning and go for a gallop? Yeah, would you believe? 
Uh, it's maybe eight or nine years since I rode a horse. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Despite having them all over the yard there and that kind of thing. Exactly. Like, yeah. 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 You, you, would you be interested in doing it? Is something? Yeah, I'd love to. But you know, I think what it was, it'd be the guilt saying I shouldn't have time to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's still yeah, yeah. sort of gnawing away in the back of it. Yeah, and also like when it, coming from Ireland, I used to ride all the time, and mm. but the, you know. The first I ever rode, my neighbour had a donkey. That's yeah. what I started riding on. Yeah. I didn't know what a saddle was till it was maybe 10, you know. But um, but no, I, I, it's funny like that. The more you're in that industry, not, I wouldn't say the less you want to do it, but um, it's like you respect. when you work with it, though, isn't it? Well, look, if you were interested in golf and you work with top professional golfers every day, yeah. you're not going to go and say to them, oh, yeah, I golf too. Yeah, I go to the driving range. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, go to the, uh, the pitch and putt, you know? <laughs> a crazy golf, you know? Hey, Tiger, do you want to go pitch and putt with me? <laughs> you might give it a go. What do you do when you're not working? And I, I don't even know if you have an answer to that question because it seems like you're doing Oh, it. what I do when I'm not working? I, uh, funny enough, because you spend a lot of time on the telephone or traveling and stuff, mm. when I'm not working, I like to... Whew, just and it's probably my favourite thing about Sweden, living here. Is it, yeah? Access to the countryside. You just head out into the country? Oh, I just go bush, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you? And Literally. is that around Rimbo or do you? No, I have. I go up north there last weekend. I have, um, you know, here it's quite structured for fishing, for example. You yeah. have yacht marks. Yeah, yeah. the Skokes for a tog and that. And I have a number of those where I have all the fishing and stuff. And You have all the rights to go fishing and Fishing hunting or hunting again. if you want, and I just head. Yeah, yeah. And do you go by yourself or do you bring the kids with you? Uh, actually, now the kids are a bit older, so they come last last week. Yeah. How and was like, that? Did you kill one another? Oh, it was fantastic. Was yeah. it a good crack? They've been at me for a couple of years. I want to catch my first fish. I said, okay, we go to. Yeah. Uh, my daughter caught her first trout after 20 minutes. and it was fantastic. Best day of her life, kind of thing. Oh, unbelievable. Her legs were shaking. She's still talking about it. And, but I think it was more so because I let her pick her spinner and I showed her how to tie it. And, and also, the best thing about it was she was there for 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. Papa, nothing's going to happen. I say, look, it doesn't just come because you want it. And it was really good because, you know, now nowadays they want to watch a movie, Netflix. They want everything to come, come direct. Yeah, TikTok, I can't just, just scrolling through. I can't like. just call the trout to jump on it. <laughs> yeah. So she said, I'm going to give up. And about three minutes later, it jumped on the line. And for the next three days, I couldn't get away from the lake. She was there the whole time. Oh, did she catch wanted. anything after that, did she? Yeah, we caught like 12 or 13. Because then I mixed, I moved to a different lake we have for Albora. Yeah, different yeah. type of fishing on the boat. And yeah, yeah. yeah. What's that? Albor? Is that something? Uh, but bass, a pike that? perch. Oh, pike perch. That's the one. Dish, yeah, yeah. Flowers, birds, and fish. I've no idea. Not that I have any idea about them anyway. From Dublin. You yeah. know? What's next for you now? Will you take uh, time off during the summer, or will you be still sort of traveling around doing your consulting? No, I'll be traveling around quite a bit until the end of August. I'm going to tip to Norway for four or five days for uh, fishing. We're going off the coast of Norway. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. will that be with the kids as well, or will that just be no, by yourself with the lads? No, no, that will be with the lads, myself. And um, funny enough, when I first came to Sweden. I went to the horse show in Falstable. Yeah. The biggest equestrian event Shoot, every year. Yeah. And on the way in the gate, I met a Swedish guy, Reiner Zetterman, who had, when he was younger, worked in Ireland in the horse business. Okay. Came back here and he's probably Sweden's most successful sport horse dealer and rider. Yeah. And um, that was 14 or 15 years ago. But we're still very friendly. So he called me last week. He said, Paddy, and if me and a few of the horse guys, another Irish guy from the South, we're going fishing in Norway. You come and I say, yeah, okay, cool, let's go. That's like a working holiday, though, isn't it? There's no. so much horse talk now. Well, it will be horse talk, yeah, but it'll be. <laughs> might, we, we might have to put it on a stop clock and say, guys, look, not between. <laughs> yeah, get a deal going. But that's why I like sort of a little bit when in your spare time, if I go up the north fishing and hunting and stuff like that with mm-hmm. um, local guys in the villages. Yeah. They don't know anything about horses or care. 
it's a switch off from everything. That's you know? it, yeah. Yeah. I'm terrible for that. I love going to these big tournaments like the World Cup and the Olympics and that. Yeah. And the best crack we have is sitting around talking to other journalists about things that we do and Jay's we're never better to do that. Yeah, yeah. But like I say, it might be a good idea to get out of there. So that's it. If people want to get involved in the horse business, what's uh, like you know, if you have a youngster who might be interested in horse and that kind of thing, are you looking for people out there in Limbo, where should they go? Should they go to S V B can they find jobs there? Oh, Oh, to, yeah, look at the, the industry screaming out for people in the horse business. But it, it depends if, if you're like to ride or to, it, um, it's a different thing. The business itself is huge, as I said. Yeah, yeah. And they're, know, they're, but they're screaming out for people as well, yeah. Yeah, they're screaming out for people. But also in terms of entrepreneurial, there's so many things happening in the industry as well. Yeah. And Sweden is the mecca for it. Equestrian brands being started up direct consumer to consumer brands and stuff. But... um. Breeding, um, breeding is 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 quite good, and if you apply a commercial focus to it, you can do okay. You might have a few competitors after this conversation. Paddy Looney, thanks very I much for it. talking to me. Thanks, <laughs> Paul Dara on Carl's Trigger, looking to go clear in faster than thirty six point five two. Big test for this combination, John. Yes. Now this first line is critical. You, you see, Paul can move on at that second fence because the horse is careful over the water. And now he's gained time here very much. And he'll be hoping that he can make enough from here to the parallel so he can coast to the last. That's a good strong ride into that and clear. Now, his horse has got a shorter stride so he can be a little braver into this. Good man. Good man, now fly. Now you see him taking it on. He's got the time. And he's clear. Yes. Taking 418, a new leader. Paul Dara into the lead, 34.18, super. There you go. That is indeed Paul Dara winning on Carol's Trigger at the Dublin Grand Prix in 1987. Uh, is it just me? Back then, show jumping was absolutely massive. Now, it was probably because we only had about three or four channels in Ireland at that point. You would have had, if you lived in the East Coast or you lived in Dublin, you would have had uh, BBC and ITV and that kind of thing, or UTV as it was at the time. But Jesus, it was absolutely massive, lads. The Aga Khan trophy and all this other carrying on now, you know. But uh, it was absolutely massive. But I don't seem to see it now maybe it might be just that i'm just watching a whole lot of different sports like you know but it was absolutely huge at that time and i know it's a huge industry in ireland as well so um yeah that was a, a few memories there and paddy amazing to see that sort of career you know fella starting off in a, in a yard just helping out there for a few bob a week and uh, turning it into a career and not one business but several businesses because you mentioned there selling the bits and pieces that people would want for their own horses and that kind of thing as well um Again, just before we go, I don't know if you're paying attention there, but that whole uh, Ryan Turbidy thing and uh, RTE and people getting paid uh, a fortune and everything else like that. Five of a month, lads. Patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm, right? Now, I'm not going to charge anybody €25,000 for a public appearance. I'm not going to do that. I will be making a suggestion to the big Irish companies that are working over here a little bit later on in the year, but I promise I won't charge us twenty five grand for a public appearance. But if you can go to Patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm, I'll come and throw in a few bob that'd be great or if not go to swish one two three two four two four one six six that's one two three two four two four one six six and if you put in that if you're putting a few bob in through swish don't worry Yulia the accountant will go through that she'll see it coming in and she'll pay the VAT and she'll make sure the mums as it's called here and she'll make sure that everything is done and dusted properly and if you need a receipt get on to me and I'll send it back to you because it's all above board there everything that happens there is above board because you don't 
don't want the Swedish taxman on your tail, right? There's a couple of other fascinating guests coming up in the coming weeks, right? We're not going to take any break during the summer. I will continue to try to publish these podcasts at 7 o'clock for you on a Monday morning. And you can start every week with a podcast. We'll get uh, Austin Gormley in front of the microphone now soon enough. I'm going to buy him a spot at lunch, butter him up nicely, and then get him in to give us the lowdown on his time in Sweden and the fun and games that he had and uh, all the things that he enjoyed doing over here. And we might even squeeze out one or two of the things that he didn't enjoy doing over here. But diplomat of the years, I'm sure he'll be well prepared uh, for all of that kind of thing. Whether you're working... And I hope now that uh, if you are working that you've realised, I did this for years, right, that uh, once the Swedes leave that you can kind of kick back just a little bit. You know, the pressure disappears. You're not going to have that avalanche of mail. Lads, if you're not, if you're still working, enjoy it. Breathe out. Take the extra 10 minutes. Go have an ice cream on your lunch if you can. You know, do that kind of thing. And sort of enjoy this because uh, soon enough we'll be back into the, the rat race again and on the hamster wheel of life. So during the summer, do your best to enjoy it. Get out. Enjoy the fine weather. Enjoy your family. Enjoy our kids, that kind of thing. Sounds like good stuff for me because I'm off now to the country uh, during this. But I'm, I'm learning to appreciate them more and more with every passing year, you know. But uh, yeah, enjoy our summer. Enjoy the rest of this week. And I shall be back again next week with another episode of the Irish and Sweden podcast. Until then, my friends, look after yourselves. Look after one another. And I'll talk to you again in a week's time.